pain has reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News and World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Becker's Review selected him as one of the 70 best pain management physicians in America. He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope, and there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to the show. Elvis Presley was the king of rock and roll and one of the most celebrated musicians of the 20th century. His death is still controversial. Was it drug overdose or a heart attack? The autopsy report declared cardiac arrest as the cause of death. But in fact, Elvis's medical history was rather complex and mysterious. It involved low back pain, headaches, joint and muscle pain, as well as traumatic brain injury and probably an autoimmune inflammatory disorder. Elvis constantly complained of aches and pains on stage and off, and was often known to say, Oh God, I hurt. Although his health deteriorated from 1974 until his death in 1977, he remained a cultural icon and continued to perform less than two months before his death. We're fortunate to have as our guests in this series of Elvis's pain, Elvis Presley's personal doctor, Dr. George Nicopolis, Elvis's lifelong friend, George Klein, and Dr. Forrest Tennant, pain specialist and addictionologist. Dr. Tennant was a defense witness for the criminal trial in 1981 of Dr. George Nicopolis and gained in-depth knowledge of Elvis's pain, drug addiction, and medical problems. In the second half of this interview with Dr. Tennant, we'll discover the real cause of Elvis's death, and more. We'll have an exclusive opportunity to learn about Elvis's health, personal life, and legacy. We'll examine how Elvis's head trauma might have led to an autoimmune disorder and constant pain, much like fibromyalgia. And finally, we'll then explore how Elvis's predicament can be used to help others in chronic pain. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, Purdue Pharma, Teva Pharmaceuticals, Atlantis Health Group, and Boston Scientific. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. If you have any questions or comments for Dr. Christo, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. Dr. Forrest Tennant is an internist, endocrinologist, and addictionologist who specializes in the research and treatment of intractable pain. He's a former U.S. Army medical officer, public health physician, and professor at the UCLA School of Public Health. He's been the drug advisor to the NFL, the LA Dodgers, and NASCAR. He's also the editor-in-chief of the Practical Pain Management Journal. Dr. Tennant, welcome back to Aches and Gains. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. In the first half of our show, we were talking about codeine and how that might have led to Elvis's death. 
Codeine was given to Elvis by his dentist shortly before he died. Yes, just a day before. And what was not exactly appreciated is that Elvis probably had a defective liver enzyme that allows codeine to metabolize to morphine. Yes. This, in turn, led to high, high levels of codeine in Elvis's blood. That's right. And toxic levels of codeine in the blood can lead to cardiac arrhythmias, especially if other drugs are present and the heart is already diseased, as it was in Elvis. And I, I think that's what happened to him. And, and, and I, in my experience, Paul, it's not just the codeine. He had a lot of other drugs in his system. Right. And it's that combination. I, I didn't know very much about it, but I recall telling the jury that there at the time of the Decapolis trial that it was my opinion that it was the combination of drugs that stopped his heart. I didn't have a good scientific reason to say that. It just sort of made sense to me yeah. um, uh, that that's what happened to sure. him. Sure, and given the new information we have about Elvis's medical history, it does seem like that probably did happen to him. You know, for us today, the government is very concerned about, the, about access to opioids because we have data that have shown us that uh, opioids have contributed to overdoses and to abuse. But at the same time, we know that they can be extremely valuable for the treatment of pain. What have you found? A decade ago, the standards were uh, put out by the World Health Organization's and most guidelines. So that You know, you started with the anti-inflammatory agents, and then you went to the weak opioids, and then you went to the strong opioids. Right. Well, as you know, in the last 10 years... We now have uh, classes of antidepressants that are very analgesic. Uh, we now have something called neuropathic agents, like Zimbalto and Lyrica. Right. We have some very safe uh, opioids like tramadol and uh, buprenorphine, for example. They can have all the uh, condemnations and regulations they want, but in the end, patients want treated. We physicians are obligated to prescribe what we have in our armamentarium. And I really think that the abuse of the opioids today uh, is really uh, those people who are stealing the, the drugs out of the medicine cabinet, they're buying them on the street, they're getting them from Mexico. I, I, and I know we had criminal doctors out giving out OxyContin, and then we had a few ignorant doctors doing this, but I, that's really been pretty cleaned up now. Yeah. You know, we have to take a break, but when we come back, we'll talk to Dr. Tennant about how he handles treating celebrities. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, the global leader in medical technology, alleviating pain, restoring health, and extending life for millions of people around the world. Teva, the leading global pharmaceutical company, committed to increasing access to high-quality health care by developing, producing, and marketing affordable generic medicines, as well as innovative and specialty pharmaceuticals. Atlantis Health Group. Atlantis is a comprehensive multi-specialty physician group committed to enhancing the quality and process of healthcare delivery across the country. Visit AtlantisHG.com. And we're back. Forrest, it strikes me that like many celebrities, Elvis had access to any drugs he wanted. I mean, things like amphetamines, sedatives, and opioids. How is this problem best handled by physicians? As a physician who lives in the Los Angeles area and who's treated lots of celebrities, mm -hmm. if you're going to deal with celebrities, you're going to deal with wealthy people. You're going to deal with powerful people as a physician. And you do it correctly and ethically for their sake. Lines are drawn that first visit. 
here's what I can do, here's what I won't do, here's what you pay, here's when you're going to see me, yeah. and you stick with very excellent medical standards. Uh, the idea that, for example, the Michael Jackson trial, was it was an, embar- it was an embarrassment to see that mm-hmm. they had tried to set up literally a, a, an anesthetic unit at home. Yeah. These things are so far out of standard, it's not even funny. So in my own work, yes, I've got some famous patients right now. But they know they've got an appointment like everybody else, and they pay the same amount of money as everybody else, and they say follow the same rules. And if a physician is going to deal with the rich, powerful, or famous, uh, they have to learn to do that, or they may end up finding themselves in, in a real predicament mm-hmm. because these people do have access to drugs. That's right. You know, Forrest, I, I always love your perspective, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think if you're dealing with the rich, powerful, and, uh, and celebrities, that you have to maintain a tight structure and usual care that doesn't deviate. Let's go back now and look into Elvis's medical history. He suffered from low back pain and headaches. Now, uh, the low back pain was due to something, I think, other than just autoimmunity, wasn't it? He had x-rays. I forget whether they were in the hospital or whether Dr. Nicopolis took them. That did show degenerative changes. Yeah. So we do know that. And um, and he had a number of reasons why he could have had that. Uh, did a lot of physical exercise. He was a first-class soldier. Mm-hmm. And he was also quite good at martial arts. Yeah. And uh, he also rode horses. He rode motorcycles. So he, he was a typical, you know, all-American guy uh, out doing the things that we all have uh, probably overdone. Uh-huh. Uh, so he had a lot of reasons to have a degenerative spine in addition to his autoimmunity. Yeah, great points. In fact, I think one of the x-rays that was taken at that time demonstrated that he had a lumbar level 4 disc protrusion. Uh, you know, I wonder, too, whether Elvis was experimenting with drugs to ease his pain because he had metabolic defects in his liver that effectively made certain medications less effective. And do you think that he was misusing opioids to control his pain because he simply wasn't getting enough relief? To a great extent, I think so. Now, he would have been an ideal candidate today to do the genetic testing on yeah, and find out what his cytochrome defects were and then pick what drugs would most likely, uh, you know, work on him. Absolutely. And... Uh, but that wasn't available in those days, so the doctors just had to, had to grab whatever was on the shelf and try it, and uh, that's pretty well what they had to do. Right. Today, if he had undergone cytochrome testing, it would have revealed that he had a defect in the metabolism of codeine to morphine, and therefore we would not have given him codeine for pain relief. Dr. Tennant, uh, despite the struggles that he had uh, and with some drug abuse and with the use of multiple medications to control his pain and insomnia, it seems like he was able to perform and function while using pain medicines. Oh, absolutely. There's no question about that. Uh, he, even after, uh, he started using all kinds of drugs in his teenage years. I'm of the opinion that he had uh, some, we'd probably call it ADD today, mm-hmm. I believe that he, he started clearly using amphetamines in his teenage years, into his 20s, was using opioids. So he was able to perform, in fact, did almost all his songs, taking rather significant dosages of abusable drugs. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of JFK in one way, because he performed to a high degree, to a high level of success, uh, while getting injections into his low back to reduce his low back pain, and while getting other medications like opioids to control his pain. 
It does make me wonder, though, should Elvis have been prescribed the multiple medications that he was on? Everybody has a gripe about doctors and doctors prescribing. Yeah. Everybody has a gripe about prescription drug abuse. But when you ask them, what's your really practical option, they came up empty-handed. Right. And this is kind of what happened here with Dr. Nikopoulos and, and his situation. And indeed... He made it very clear to the jury, and that's why they acquitted him. Mm-hmm. They said, look, I, I actually counted out his pills. I tried to do everything I could. They yeah. tried to get him to go to detoxification, get psychotherapy. Uh, even today, I am not certain as to what could or should have been done to Elvis. Mm-hmm. You'd only be second-guessing, because uh, it may turn out that even you know, physicians who were known experts like you and I, I'm not sure how well, how much better we could have done. Yeah, no, I agree. You're right. Uh, It's a very difficult circumstance. We have to take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk to Dr. Tennant about the pill packets that were given to Elvis by Dr. Nick. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Purdue Pharma, making a positive impact on healthcare and on lives reminding everyone to safeguard medications in their home. Boston Scientific, a leader in microelectric implantable technologies used to treat chronic neuropathic pain. Welcome back. Uh, Forrest, if you examine what Dr. Nicopolis was giving Elvis at that time, I mean, you have to wonder whether it was excessive and really necessary because these pill packets contained uh, drugs like hydromorphone and uh, dextroamphetamine and oxycodone. That was part of what uh, the trial was about. But at the time, what Nicopolis figured out with Elvis was he was rich, he's famous, he's got 10 doctors who will prescribe for him, yeah. or dentists, or podiatrists. Right. And so Dr. Nicopolis took the position, look, it's better I give it to him in the best way I can control it to keep him alive and functional. And that's what he did. Yeah. And it certainly seemed to have been an effective strategy, at least for several years. Yeah, it seems like it. And then the other thing is that Elvis complained a lot of aches and pains on stage and off. And I think on many occasions, he was known to have said, oh, God, I hurt. That's that's exactly right. Yet, I don't think the public or or many other people really knew that he suffered from pain. Uh, Why it's not written about or known about much, and the only pain things we treated back then pretty much were cancer. Right. So pain therapy wasn't even considered, you know, medicine. Yeah. Patients, even today, until they really hurt, most of them aren't going to complain about pain. I don't think Elvis complained too terribly much. But if you take a look at Dr. Nicopolis's first records, when he first saw Elvis, mm-hmm. the mention of pain are in those records. Wow. Today, as you know, he would probably be called a fibromyalgia patient, mm-hmm. you know, it hurts all over, and I can't stand it, and I can't function, and I can't sleep. Yeah. And uh, Elvis would have probably been called a fibromyalgia patient today. Well, that, that, that's pretty intriguing. I mean, you're right. Maybe he would have. What led to Elvis's deterioration? I mean, his medical, his health deterioration, because he was pretty ill, it seems, from 1974 until his death in 1977. What I have come to learn, Paul, is that I have got a number of traumatic brain injury patients, and I now see that if they do not get early first-class treatment, they end up like Elvis. Yeah. Uh, They can become demented. They get multi-system disease. They end up in bed. They end up miserable. Their 
poorly understood by family, friends, and loved ones. Mm -hmm. Uh, They can become very isolated because nobody wants to be around them. And I believe that he was a classic case of an end-stage traumatic brain injury with uh, autoimmunity. Uh You know, I too am seeing more patients uh, with traumatic brain injury and pain. And, you know, they, they offer or they present themselves with a triad of symptoms, pain all over, insomnia, and headaches. And in fact, the pain can be constant. The insomnia can be severe. And uh, and then they can also have associated depression and mental impairments. No question about it. So I'm now encouraging everybody to start taking a history of head trauma. Yeah. And also to realize it is accumulative. Each little one you get gets worse. And the uh, that's been known for boxers for a long time. We now see it in football players. We see it in soldiers. The ones that I have gotten, it's either neck pain or it's the same as Elvis. It's pain all over. Uh-huh. It's really, I, I'm beginning to get the idea that what we're calling fibromyalgia a lot of times is really a symptom of pain all over in the muscles, but there's an underlying cause. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that, I believe, is brain head trauma. Forrest, let's now talk about hormonal abnormalities and traumatic brain injury. So the hypothalamus, pituitary, and adrenals become abnormal after a series of head traumas. Tell us about that. Yes. When pain begins, regardless of what it is, whether it's central, like after traumatic brain injury or back problems, knee problems, or whatever pain it may be, the pituitary is stimulated by pain mm-hmm. to produce hormones like cortisone and DHEA and progesterone to try to heal the pain site. Right. To try to heal the body. That's what the hormones are for. If they, those hormones can't heal the body and the pain goes on, the hormones start to deplete. And we can tell that now because we can take simple blood tests. Incidentally, this information is kind of new because up until only about two years ago, could we get ranges on a lot of these hormones? Uh This testing really wasn't very available, and you couldn't trust what it was, or you could get a high level but not the low range, etc. When hormones go down, all kinds of bad things happen. You can't sleep, your pain medicines don't work, you're fatigued, your sex life may go, your appetite may go. Right. In other words, it's not a good situation. No, it's not. And I think what you described is really unappreciated to date. Uh, Forrest, if Elvis were a patient of yours, or, or if you have patients now, like Elvis, with traumatic brain injury and pain sort of all over their body, in your experience, what works best? I mean, what are you offering them? I think you go right through the step-up system, anti-inflammatory agents, muscle relaxants, antidepressants, neuropathic agents. Right. No opioids to start with, but I think what you don't want to do is ignore the patient, um, and you can certainly start with some of these non-opioid treatments that are very low risk, yeah. and, and, and get the patient evaluated and go from there. Yeah, you know, and I think that these types of patients are typically ignored, unfortunately, because treating them can be so intimidating. Dr. Tennant, the reports are that Elvis suffered from joint and muscle pain. And I think then that the current theory on how that developed in him is related to traumatic brain injury, that 
traumatic brain injury can cause an autoimmune disorder and pain. And, and specifically then, it's thought that the brain tissue may leak into the blood and cause antibodies to develop. In turn, these antibodies then uh, start attacking normal tissue randomly, like the joints, the eye, the heart, and the liver. Yes, yes. That's my number one working theory at this time. What's the evidence for this? There are some early studies. They're, they're out just in the last, oh, 90, 120 days. Okay. Uh, not published in real prestigious places, uh, but it has been published. Great. Listen, we have to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk to Dr. Tennant about how Elvis's pain affected his life. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. And we're back speaking to Dr. Forrest Tennant about the pain that Elvis Presley experienced during his life. Forrest, how did ultimately Elvis's pain affect his life? Well, he obviously, the obvious is he died young. Yeah. Was totally impaired the last few years of his life. You mm-hmm. know, they sort of forced him to go out and sing. If he had stayed well, it's hard to tell what, what more he could have accomplished. Yeah. Based on what I can read about him, what his staff, uh, Dr. Nicopolis and other people have told me, he was a very caring, concerned man. I, I have the sneaking suspicion that if he had lived, he'd be a little bit like a Robert Redford who tries to teach people on how to make movies mm-hmm. and have his own seminars. My guess is Elvis would have gone a little bit along that route. Uh, you know, he had been so successful as an entertainer and... And he, you know, I'm no expert about how this worked out, but you know, he did a lot of things. I mean, he was one of the first men to use makeup, for example. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, and and how you train yourself, and how you dress, and how you how you become a showman. Yeah, you know, I think it's probably pretty shocking for those to realize who listen to the show that Elvis had pain and that it affected his life adversely. But how do we really know that it did? Because he rarely talked about it. You know, as a pain physician, and I think any physician who goes into pain work, you you hear the the agony, you hear the misery, you hear the debility, yeah. and you hear the sorrow. Yeah. And there's no there's no greater suffering than pain, and it interferes with everything about your life, uh, your marital life, your social life, your financial life, mm-hmm. and, um, and 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 strange as it may seem, most people try not to complain about it. So and I think Elvis was very much in that category. Yeah, you know, in fact, in 1976, it seemed like Elvis essentially lived in his bedroom and removed himself from the world. Do you believe that this was due to his pain? We don't know. We do know that with traumatic brain injury, reclusivity becomes part of the picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, Howard Hughes, of course, was classic. Uh, and Elvis became quite a recluse as he became more ill. Yeah. The psychological reasons of... Uh, it's something I'm not real clear on. I don't know whether they are embarrassed to be seen, don't feel they want to interact with the rest of the world, mm-hmm. whether they hurt too much to interact. But, you know, we don't use reclusivity as a medical symptom, but I think maybe we should. <laughs> exactly. You know, I, I agree with you. Maybe we should. Forrest, how can we use Elvis's predicament to help others in pain? I have now decided that I ask every patient about head trauma. Mm-hmm. And I want people to know about head trauma. I've done this famous person series to give some hope 
and some encouragement to the pain patient. And, you know, there's just no such greater icons in our society than people like John Kennedy, Howard Hughes, and Elvis Presley. Yeah. I mean, these were great people, right. uh, had great sorrow, and accomplished a great deal in their agony and, and even on taking all, an awful lot of medications. So I've written these things and really to try to help patients uh, have some hope, you know. Uh, you're doing the same thing with your show, you know. Thank you so much for that compliment. You bet. Anytime. I appreciate what your show is doing, and I'm happy to share anything I've got at any time. Keep up the great work, Paul. You too, Forrest. And I agree. Elvis's accomplishments were extraordinary, given the pain that he endured. But his triumphs convey great hope and promise. Join us for another exciting show on Elvis Presley's pain. It's an exclusive interview with his lifelong friend, George Klein. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Tom Blair and Ty Ford. Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Dr. Paul Christo is the executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.